what's cool? Um, yeah, I'm Scott. I'm an intern here this summer and stuff, so that's cool. Um, well, <laughs> I'm going to pray, because that's cool too. And uh, so, yeah. God, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Um, thank you, God, for the, everybody that's here, Lord. I pray, God, that it would be your spirit that speaks this morning, God. And um, God, it would be you, God, you, that your spirit would be alive in here, God, and open our hearts to, to what you have to say, God, and not be my words or anything that I have to say, God, but everything that you have. Um, and God, you and your spirit would be, speak and be alive here this morning, God. We love you. Why should I pray? Amen. Hey, Mark, can you do me a favor? Can you, like, get that thing over there? I didn't tell yeah, yeah. I didn't tell you to do that, but now I am. So thanks for that. Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, is not only one of the NFL's best players, he's one of the NFL's great stories. At the tender age of 30, he has already won three Super Bowls, an accomplishment that ranks him with some of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. And he's having one of the greatest seasons in pro football history. When we first reported on him back in 2005, he seemed underrated and almost overlooked. He doesn't have the arm of Peyton Manning, and he doesn't have tattoos, and he doesn't take steroids, and he's never held out for more money. All he knows how to do is win. <laughs> it's what you always wanted. You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. In addition to his success on the field and his sex appeal off it, there is also the $60 million 10-year contract to play with the Patriots. I mean, I'm making more money now than I ever thought I could ever make playing football. <laughs> but with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is... Me, I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Tom Brady. All-star quarterback. Household name. Estimated worth of $100 million. Have about anything he wants at any point in time. There's got to be more than Chase his lifelong dream, and he's achieved it. And he's going to go down as one of the greatest to ever play, one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play. He said, there's got to be more than this. Blaise Pascal, who was a 17th century uh, philosopher and theologian, wrote this. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person, and it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God, made known through Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to talk. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Okay, there's a hole in our heart, a vacuum in our heart, as he explained. God-shaped hole, a God-shaped vacuum that can only be filled by Jesus Christ. It can't be filled by by the fame or money. It can't be filled by anything of this world. Only be filled by Jesus Christ, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I mean, ever since the beginning of creation, uh, humans have been searching for something else to fill that hole. Then you look at Adam and Eve, okay, God created them and he made them, he made them perfectly, he made them in this perfect world where they were without sin, they were without need. They had everything they could possibly want or need in front of them. And still, when they were tempted with something more, 
all of a sudden God and what he had given them became not enough. And so they gave into that temptation and gave into the temptation of the fruit. And you look at their kids, and that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, in Genesis chapter 4, you look at their first kids uh, with Cain and Abel. In Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. Uh, we're going to kind of focus in on, on the two characters of Cain and Abel and what... Um, and kind of who they are, and, and, and we can see kind of, uh, it's a really neat juxtaposition of the two characters and, and, and how, for one, God was enough, and the other, it wasn't. Okay, so Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. It says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, which means they had sex. So there's that. So when Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. And now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of, brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but Cain... But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And so Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. In verse 8, Cain spoke to, his brother, spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Stop right there. Got to look at the two characters of Cain and Abel. So what just happened here? <clears throat> okay, so Adam and Eve had two kids, Cain and Abel, and the brothers. And uh, and so Cain, Cain was a farmer. He did fruits of the ground. That was kind of what he did. Uh, and Abel, the, kind of the opposite. He did. He worked with the sheep. He was a shepherd of the flock and everything. Okay. And so when it came time to bring their offering, Cain brought just kind of what we could see, kind of his leftover, not not the first fruits, not the greatest that he could do. And Abel did the opposite. He brought his best. He brought the fattened calf. He brought, uh, or the fattened sheep, or whatever it said. I don't even know. Uh, anyway, he brought, he brought the fat portions. He brought the best that he could. Uh, he brought his best offering. And so God says, okay, Cain, or, he said, or God saw that, I'm sorry, Cain saw that, uh, that God was, he was pleased with Abel's offering. God was pleased with what Abel brought him, but not with him. And so Cain got kind of mad about that, and he said, like, you know, what's up with this God? And he said, well, if you know that if you do well, you know that if you bring your first fruits, you know if you bring the best that you can do, that you'll be accepted. You know that if you won't, you won't be. And so what we can see here is that Cain did not bring his best. And so what, what's happening is Cain, there, there's something in Cain where he's thinking, okay, I, I'm take my regard. I take myself above God. I mean, we could see this because he's take, he takes higher regard for whatever reason for his stuff and his fruit and for what he does than, than pleasing God. Okay, so we can see that Cain's selfish because you know, one character trait of Cain is that he's selfish because he's thinking of himself more than God. And it could be several different things. He could be thinking, okay, if I bring my best and give that to God, what am I going to have left over for me? 
Or he could just like the way that it looks, or he could like just self, something in him is taking himself more higher regard than God. Okay, so we can see that he in himself, he is, uh, he is an idol, or his stuff's an idol, or it's above God in himself. Okay, so we can see that he's selfish in that. Um, and we can see that that selfishness, it, when, it's, when it's brought in comparison to Abel, but what's neat about this, what I want you to, to notice about this is that God never compares the two of them. He never compares the two of them. He never says, why didn't you do as good as Abel, or why didn't you, you know, Abel brought his first fruits, or his, his, his best, and you didn't. Why, why, not? why did you not do like your brother Abel? He doesn't compare the two. It's just between him and God. He knows that he didn't bring his best. He's not comparing him, saying that you need to be as good as someone else. He's saying he just wants, he wants Cain to be faithful to him, and that's it. It's not about comparing himself to other people. But Cain takes it upon himself uh, to compare himself to his brothers. Okay, so we saw that, that God was, with regard to Cain, I mean, excuse me, regard to Abel and regard to his offering. And so Cain saw that that was accepted, so he got mad about that. And so his selfishness led to anger. And his anger led to jealousy because he wanted that acceptance. He wanted that acceptance that Abel had. But instead of, instead of devoting himself to God, instead of, uh, of putting God above everything, putting God's gratification above everything, and giving God his best, he got jealous of his brother, and he killed him. Okay? And so his selfishness led to anger, and his anger led to jealousy. And his jealousy led to wrath, which killed his brother. And so we can see when God is not enough for us, when we're selfish and when, when we're focused on ourselves and what we can do and what we have and our stuff, what happens? It's never enough. It's never enough. Just like Pascal said that it's a God-shaped vacuum, and so it's just going to keep sucking stuff in. You can keep trying to fill this hole with, our stuff, with the stuff in our lives, but it's never going to fill and it's never going to satisfy. It's never going to be enough. And it's going to lead to anger because we're, it's just going to be frustrating because we'll never have enough. Whatever it is in our lives, it'll never be enough. And we're going to chase, we're going to see other people, and we're going to think, like, hey, they've got it all figured out. They've got what I want. They've got it all figured out. And so that anger will lead to jealousy. And the jealousy, I guess, to the extreme form of what Cain did here, was led to, led to wrath and murder. We chase after this thing, after the stuff of this world. It's never going to be enough. And that's what we see in Cain. Opposite of Cain, we see Abel. Okay, we see Abel. Well, the characteristics of Abel. Abel, first off, he was humble. We can see that he was humble because he took God as regarded as higher than himself. God was first and foremost. We could see that through his offering as higher than himself. And we can see uh, from, that, from that humility came generosity. Okay, so Abel saw that Abel had God higher than himself, and he humbled himself with humility himself, recognizing that God was first, and God was what was most important. And so he regarded God as higher than himself, and in that regard, left generosity. And that led to generosity, and so he brought his, first, his firstborn, the fattened calf, or the fattened sheep, whatever it was, and he, yeah, he brought the first. He, he brought his very best. 
And because he regards them higher than himself, he brings his very best. So these are traits. Traits of, of, of someone who regards of God, who, has, who tries to fill that hole with God, who finds their satisfaction in Christ. The humble, the humility, the generosity. We also see that Abel was faithful because he knew that God would provide for him. So he brought his very best. He brought the, he brought the firstborn, the fattened one. He brought the very best that he had. We can see that he was faithful because he knew he was faithful to God and he knew that God would still take care of him. He was faithful to God and he trusted God. So he knew that if he, even if he brought his very best to God, God would still take care of him and what, what, with whatever happened. And we, it doesn't say, and we don't know that, we don't know, uh, Abel could have still had a flock of thousands and, and would still would have been more than okay. We don't know. And Cain could have been the same way with his fruits. He could have had just barrels and barrels of stuff put away. We don't know. We see that Abel brought his very best and knew that God would take care of him regardless of what happened, regardless of what he had left, as opposed to Cain, who didn't. Cain just kind of brought his leftovers. He, didn't, he just kind of brought whatever was left, as we can see. We know that it wasn't the best that he could do, the best offering that he could bring to God. Okay, and so we kind of see these two things uh, juxtaposed against each other, and it, and at least a, kind of a New Testament you see in Philippians, um, in Philippians chapter three, we kind of see the same attitude that, that Paul has. He kind of has the same attitude as Abel had. Philippians chapter three, verse seven says. But whatever I gain, I had counted lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And so we see, we see Paul here. Okay, just a little bit of background on Paul. Paul was, Paul was formerly was Saul. Um, before he was, Paul, God, before God renamed him to Paul, his name was Saul, and um, he grew up, it's, he was kind of on his way to the top in the, in the Jewish, in Jewish circles, okay? He was on his way to being one of the top Pharisees, and he, um, he knew the law, and he, he had name, and he, we, he probably had wealth. Okay, when people heard the name Saul, there was status behind that name. There, were, there was a, a position and a title with the name Saul, okay? So people saw Saul, they were like, he's somebody in the Jewish church, and one of his jobs was to persecute Christians and to stop the movement of Christianity. And then Christ, you see in Acts, called on him. And Christ called on him and changed his life and said, and said Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he came, you're going to follow me and you're going to do my will. And so Saul turned everything around, turned all of his money and his possessions and his wealth, everything that he had, he put it behind him. And he went to follow Christ. And he gave everything up. But he says here in Philippians 3 that everything that he had, he sees as rubbish, garbage. He counts it all as lost for the sake of following Christ because nothing in him is worth the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want you to understand more than anything else this morning is that Christ is enough. God is enough. We see that with Abel and we see with Abel, that through his, his offering to God, that it was enough. 
that, that God was enough. And he, didn't, he wasn't worried about what else happened, what else that he had. He was worried about pleasing God. He was, a wor- he was worried about his relationship with God more than anything else because to him, God was enough and pleasing God was enough. We see here with Paul in Philippians 3 that the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ was more than enough for him. It's more than enough. It's more than worth anything else that he could have had. All of his other worth of money and the possessions that he had, it was garbage to him. The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. I just wanted you to understand this morning. God is enough. Uh, God's kind of shown me within the last year. Uh, he's given me an opportunity to go to Haiti for a little while and then um, in, in, in Dallas to go to school. Um, I'm, part of a, I'm part of a kind of a, a homeless church. If you guys did the, ever did the church under the bridge with us a couple of years ago, it's pretty much the same idea. Um, and so what God's shown me through that there's interaction with the, with the Haitian people and with, and with these homeless folks. We, I've seen so much joy. And specifically in the Haitians, you walk around in a Haitian church and there's so much joy in the middle of the poorest country in the world, in the midst of talking to people who we know haven't eaten in days, who don't have, who, who are scared, you know, who don't know when they're going to eat again, who don't know you know, where they're going to come up with the means to pay for the, to, to support their family. They don't, you know, in, in the midst of all this poverty, and then knowing that as soon as they leave church, at any point that something could happen and they could die, knowing that day to day that they could die, that something could happen with them. There was so much joy. Why was that? Because Christ to them was enough. He is enough. And so in the midst of all this poverty and all the pain and everything that they have, you see so much joy because Christ is enough. They don't have, we saw this incredible connection that they have with God. And so this incredible relationship that they have with God and the way that they talked about him and the way that you see that we could, they interact and worship with him. It was just incredible. It wasn't like anything I'd ever seen before. And he talked to him about it, like, because they said, we don't have all, anything to get in our way. We have to rely on Christ day to day for, to provide for us, because we know that in any moment we could die. Something could happen to us, and we could die. We have to day to day rely on Jesus Christ to provide. And so their trust, their trust in him, they're faithful to him. What I also saw is, is they were humble and generous and faithful to God, the same way that, that Abel was. Even though they knew that, that we were taken care of and that we were fine, if you, if you walk up to a, to a Haitian's home, they're going to try to give you something to eat and something to drink, even if it means that they're not going to eat or drink that day. They're going to give you all that they can. Because for them, Christ is enough. You see the, the humility, the generosity, and just the faithfulness and the trust in God. They don't, they're not worried about what's going to happen because Christ is enough and they know that he will provide for them. And even if something does happen to them, even if they do die, they know that they're going to be a lot better off at the end of it anyway. For them, Christ is enough. And I keep saying that over and over again because I know that you're going to walk out of here and you're probably going to forget about everything that I've said. 
Because I know, because I've been in that same chair for six, seven years. I sat in these same chairs, and I listened to, to, to talk after talk after talk. And I forgot a lot of it. But if, if you walk out of here and you remember that Christ is enough, God is enough for us, then it's, then it's a win. That's what, that's, that's what I want you to, to walk out of here and remember that Christ is enough. And so we look at our lives. What happens when Christ isn't enough? We fall into selfishness. We fall into anger. We fall into jealousy. We fall into sin. Okay. You see that God's, God says to, to Cain uh, in, in Genesis 4, 7, it says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, okay, so if God isn't enough, if Christ isn't enough for us, and, and we've got, we, we try to fill our heart in this, this vacuum and this hole with all this other stuff. He says in verse 7, he says, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. Okay, so what's happening is when God's not enough for us and, and, and we don't hold, Christ is enough for us. Sin's crouching at the door. It's right there waiting on us, trying to fill in, fill in these gaps in our hearts. Fill, trying to fill this gap in our heart with sin. And Satan's trying to fill that with sin, fill it with himself. And we know that it's just going to be an endless vacuum. It's just going to be an, just endlessly trying to fill our heart with the stuff, with just this junk. And not him. And so what we'll see is that, again, we'll just keep chasing after these things day after day after day, and it's going to make us miserable. We praise God that this is not the end of the story. And we see the way the story ends with Cain. In verse 8, Cain killed his brother. And then verse 9, And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he kind of gets smart with God. And he says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Can you imagine God's like, You know that you, you done goofed. You done goofed pretty bad. Um, you committed the first murder in all of human history. You done goofed pretty bad. Uh, and God knows. God knows what, what had happened. And you gotta get smart with God. And I was like, where's your, like, hey, bro, where's your brother? He's like, I don't know. I ain't his keeper. He's like, what are you doing, bro? Anyway, uh, it says, verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you, work, when you work the ground, it shall now no longer yield to you its strength, and you shall be a fugitive and wander on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and, your, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And so Cain, you can see Cain for the first time humbles himself before God. He's realized what, it, what has happened. He's realizing that he's not worthy of God. And he's not worthy of the love of God. It's, it's, it's funny how God responds. And the Lord says to him, not, this is not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Verse 17, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When, when he built the city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, 
Enoch. And then he has a lineage to go on from there. So we see that God, even though Cain was not faithful to God, even though Cain went against God, did not hold, at first did not hold God as high regard, he smarted off to God, and he killed his brother. God was still faithful and loving to Cain. For the first time when Cain humbled himself before God, God was faithful to him. God was faithful to him, and he took care of him. He took care of him and put a mark on him and said, no one's going to kill you. No one's going to hurt you because I've got your back. And he, he has a son, and he builds a city and names it after his son. So Cain, as far as we can tell, ended up kind of prosperous. He ended up okay. Because God still loved him. God being merciful and forgiving and still loved him. And so that's the good news for us today. That even though we regard these, these things and the stuff of this world as, as higher than God, he's still faithful to us. He still takes care of us. He still loves us. He's merciful and just to forgive. It says in, in 1 John um, chapter 1, verse 9, he says, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive if we confess him our sins and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we ask ourselves today, are we Cain? In this story, or, or do we play the role of Cain as far as holding, holding our stuff and ourselves is more higher regard than God in our relationship with Christ? I'm going to ask you guys, kind of leave this open here for a second. What's, uh, goes my Fiesta chalk. Anyway, sorry. Um, what holds, what's more important to us than Christ? What, what do we hold in more regard? Kind of leave this open. What do you guys think? What takes the place of Christ in our lives? What do we try to fill that vacuum with? Family. What else? Friends. Friends. What else? Money. Money. That's a big one. I have terrible handwriting, so sorry about that. Good, social status. What else? What else do we try to fill it with? Material possessions. Material possessions, definitely. Hey guys, I'm in college, it's fine. <laughs> Power. Power. <laughs> Do what? 
Relationships. Heard it. I heard it. You can yell it. Someone said sex. Sex. Okay, cool. <laughs> what else? True. What else? How about TV? TV. <laughs> Thanks. Talents. Good. See, so we see, we try to, we try to fill our lives, we try to fill this hole, this gap with all this stuff, and with family, talents, friends, sex, a hot body, money. TV, relationships, sports, material, uh, power, social status. We try, to fill, we try to fill these holes with all of this stuff. But the thing is, it's, we're just going to keep chasing it. We're just going to keep chasing it. We try to fill it with money. We're never going to have enough money. You see that in the video with Tom Brady? They, he's got a net worth of estimated $100 million, and it's not enough. He's got fame, and it's not enough. He's got all the kind of material possessions and social status and power that he could want, and it's not enough. We try to fill it with family. You know, family's good, while family is a good thing. If you try to find your satisfaction, you try to, to, to fill your, that gap with that, it's not going to be enough. It's never going to satisfy it's never going to satisfy us. There's going to come a day. You'll, there'll, be, there'll come a day when you mess up and you disappoint your family. It's just a fact of the matter. It happens. We're humans. It happens. We mess up. It's part of our nature. There's going to come a day when family isn't enough. Family doesn't satisfy. You're, then you'll never have enough friends or, or have enough sex or your body won't be good, good enough or you won't have enough social status. Your relationships won't be enough. There'll come a day when sports end you can only achieve so much in, through sports. I look around the room, and the reality of it is most, I don't really see any like NBA all-stars around here, so sports are probably going to end pretty quickly. Uh, so just, sorry. Anyway. Um, yeah, it happens. Uh, it's never going to be enough. This stuff's never going to be enough. But the beauty of the situation is the Romans 8, 1 and 2 say, in Christ, there's no more condemnation. There's no more condemnation in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life gives freedom, sets us free from the law of sin and death. These things are the law of sin and death. These things are the law of sin and death. These things that we chase turn into sin. They turn, in, they turn, in, 
the selfishness and anger and jealousy that turn into all these different kinds of sins where everything's inwardly focused and everything is about us and about ourselves and not about Christ and not about our relationship with Christ. So when these things, we keep chasing them. They're never going to be enough, but the beauty of it is that Christ has set us free from that because he is enough. Because he is enough. And when he took all of our sin and all of our shame and our punishment on the cross and he took all of this stuff that enslaves us and puts us into the bondage of sin, he took all of that upon himself and he died with it and he defeated it when he came back to life three days later. He defeated the grave. He defeated our sin. He defeated our sorrow and he set, made a way that we could be set free from slavery the slavery of sin and the slavery of, of our family, of our talents, our friends, of our body, our sex, money, TV, relationships, sports, stuff, material, power, social status. We've been set free from that. We don't have to live in bondage. We don't have to, to chase after this stuff anymore because when it doesn't satisfy, Christ always satisfies. Because Christ is always enough. God is always enough. Through Christ Jesus is made known to us. That's all I've got. Let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, for this morning. God, I thank you, God, for who you are and the way that you love us and the way that you continually take care of us. Even though we can't be enough, we can't have enough, and we, we chase after the stuff that never satisfies. God, I thank you, God, that for who you are and the way that you love us and the way that you take care of us anyway. God, I pray, God, that you would penetrate our hearts with your spirit, God, and show us, God, that you are enough. Help us internalize that you are enough. And through that, we don't have to worry about what other people think. We don't have to worry about how much money we have or, 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 or how good we are at stuff or how much stuff that we have. We don't have to worry about any of that because it's all garbage. The only thing that has worth, surpassing worth of knowing you. Help us to internalize that, God, and help to realize, God, that you are enough. I love you, Father. Should I pray? Amen.